Hi, I'm Weird Al Yankovic, and you're listening to the Pantheon Network. Motley Crue, the embodiment of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. The story of their almost 40-year career includes 100 million albums, nine platinum records, three Grammy nominations, and a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, as well as a lot of cocaine, a DUI, a couple of corpses, spandex, high hair, scandals, and of course, girls, girls, girls. Despite enormous commercial success, they, and most of the other bands from that genre, get written off because of the spandex and the high hair. Today, on the inaugural episode of The Prisoners of Rock and Roll, we're going to make the argument that Motley Crue belongs in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So finish that beer in the parking lot, show your bouncer your ticket, and get close to the stage. Yeah! What's up, cellmates? Welcome to the Prisoners of Rock and Roll, a show where we're going to talk about music and the influence it has had all over us. So, I'm Bruce. I'm with my two good friends, Ryan and Doug McCusker. Hey, how's it going? Very nice to be here. Hello, everyone. We've been talking about doing this for a long time. Yeah. We've known each other for 30 years almost. You know, we, we met working in a music store together. These were the days. I, I think back about that. Just slinging records. Uh, opening our, our, our ears and our minds to so many different types of music. And just, uh, for me, that was really like the beginning of my, my love affair with rock and roll. And Oh, totally. We, we totally got a, a free education. We got to listen to whatever we wanted to. Somebody said, hey, how about The Descendants? Oh, I would never even heard of them. Let me let me put them on. Yeah. That, was, that was definitely a different record store that you guys worked at. It was the first time I ever seen like a sound... And bar like a, you, a listening center anyway yeah some of you don't know there was a blockbuster music that bruce and i worked at it was on haddonfield road in cherry hill they were like one of the first ones to have a listening bar that you can open up the cd pop it on and listen to it before you buy it um it was it was before the wall if you remember the wall they did the same thing I people listening might not even remember what a music story is. Once upon a time, what's a CD? Right, sit down, kids. We're going to tell you a story about when you used to actually like physically buy music and look at look at uh, album artwork, and that would be the decision you would make of what you would buy something. That's what I really miss is the artwork and reading reading the liner notes and yeah, album covers. There's no love in it anymore. Yeah, it's not. You like you don't. You can't touch it. You can't feel it. You it's know, like you, you see it on the computer screen or you see it on your phone. You know, there's awesome album covers there's never going to be like a like a like a piece of art again because everything's so small and it's it's obsolete they don't even think about the album cover anymore even driving over here i had my spotify hooked up to my car and it doesn't even have the artwork anymore it was just because it my my phone could tell i was in the car synced up with my bluetooth so it would just show the song and the name in like big letters so like even that artwork that that awesome artwork of dr feelgood that i was listening to driving over here wasn't i didn't even get to see it yeah that's like tomorrow is like tom petty's anniversary of his death it's three years so they they got some kind of box set coming out and they um released a single today and they had a video with the song you see on youtube and i said to one of our, our buddies did it bother you that they had a video he's like no, it didn't really bother me. I'm like, well, why do you think they did? He's like, to promote the album. I'm like, right, because it's going to be on MTV. That doesn't exist anymore. It's a, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a whole lost yeah. like, medium. Yeah, and it was so like for us growing up, it was like the, the pinnacle of like an art form. It was like the video is an art form. Yeah, Just, it, the whole going to Motley Crue, their videos were very ridiculous like some of those beginning ones they look like they're in like uh sci-fi land and they're running around like pope like uh mad max scenes yeah so let's jump into the topic and start talking about motley crew so i was i was admittedly a little surprised when we put together we were talking about this podcast and we pulled together a, a list of like a page and a half of show ideas and one of mine was does motley crew belong in the rock and roll hall of fame and it was an unequivocal yeah, absolutely. All three of us. Um, I thought there was going to be a little bit of dissenting opinion here, but I, I was wrong. No, I mean, I've been a fan since I was 12 years old. It's funny to say that, but we had MTV growing up. I remember that first time I saw Wild Side on MTV. Is that your first memory? My first memory of Motley Crue, definitely watching Wild Side on 
MTV and watching Tommy Lee spin around on that contraption that he had. Absolutely. And in the words to me, it were totally scratch on of what I thought city life was. You know, it was the dirty down band that they were. They were writing songs. It's, it's weird because their early stuff is all about that sunset strip and it's the same time that like van halen is there and guns and roses is there mm. metallica metallica is there i mean it's like a it's a scene motley was the first ones to be there they were the first ones to be there then everybody start coming up like that they were like oh let's let's do what they're doing you know let's start putting like having props on the stage like they had everybody copied them in my opinion they wore makeup everybody wore makeup they took off the makeup. Everybody took off the makeup. They put leather jackets on and made the motorcycle look. Everybody did the motorcycle look. My inner music historian and my music nerd in me, I look at music as it's just there's one giant roadmap of rock and roll where you can connect one artist to anybody else if you try hard enough. It's all it's all interconnected, and I'm sure we'll be talking about that a whole lot on this podcast. But I was looking at Motley Crue and the rise of those bands is the same time you've got in like New York, you've got like the Ramones and those nihilists. They don't care. They're all looking this. They don't care what they look like. And then you got these guys on the other side that they're almost Bowie and the New York Dolls and Alice Cooper and Kiss kind of all coming together. Yeah, with monster and, movies. Yeah, yeah. And they were the first band that they cared what they looked like. They cared too much of what they look well, like. Well, Nikki Six knew what he wanted. He he had a vision. He talked these guys into wearing makeup that way, and he he was right. He you know he started a whole genre of music of being glam. Well, not glam, but like metal, like that hair, that the hair, hair metal sound, yeah. and yeah, I know like glam was with glitter and stuff like that. Like Twisted Sister, they were before. Oh, yeah, about were, the same time, and they were glam. They were tough, like they were tough music, just like Motley. You know, I remember seeing an interview with Nikki Six said, "Oh, we wore makeup, this, and we wore uh, spandex and everything like that, but that doesn't mean that we can't kick your ass." Yeah, and high heels. Yeah, you know, like yeah. they, they were totally, they were a crew, they were a gang. And it's it's funny because when I when we sat down to talk about this, I chartered to think about like where where did their sound come from who's it been influenced by because i just i love that kind of connecting the yeah. dots and i fully expected that i'm gonna go to poison and all those you know the bands that people right or wrong they make fun of that whole era but i went back to like the new york dolls and the flamboyance of freddie mercury and i went to like these iconic amazing bands that i was tying motley Crue to well you have to tie motley Crue into a real punk scene Nikki Six says first band was a punk band. Yeah. Um, I think a big piece of what Motley Crue is punk. They did something that very few bands do, make great albums without even knew how playing their instruments. And also, I don't know how many bands were doing it when they did it, but they dropped the tuning. They dropped the drop D. Usually in standards, E, A, D, yeah, and G. Totally but the E, something. they turned down to a D. Yeah. So I think that added to their sound. Which a lot of bands do now, you know, a lot, especially a lot oh, of metal yeah. bands. Everybody did the drop D, right? Like Alice in Chains. But that's a million sound. years later. The signature you know, I'm sound. not saying that they were the first ones to do it, but yeah. that's their sound. Even to today, the songs they write, it's all in drop D. But yeah, but they're not in the rock and roll fame. Like, who sells a hundred million albums and say, no, you can't be in a rock and roll fame? I bet if ABBA, a band like ABBA, would be. Be like, oh yeah, you're coming in. Oh, you is Ava in the Rock Hall of Fame? I, I don't remember. I'm just saying, you know, a band that's been around and has maybe some. I don't. I don't think they are. I kind of re remember looking it up look not too up. long ago. They might be, but I just think they put lame bands in. Well, you know, times changes. Like, what is it? Twenty years. Yeah. Twenty years after your first your first single or first album. Man, twenty years ago we we're hanging out in a record store, even longer than that. Like, think about twenty all the music. years ago we were hanging out in this bar. Yeah. Like I think <laughs> the only band to do the twenty years was Pearl Jam. They got right in. Or I'm sorry, not I'm sorry, not Pearl Jam, Metallica. Metallica were the first ones like hit that twenty years, boom, they're in. And Pearl Jam did also. ABBA was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame by the Bee Gees. Yes. That's, See, that's I fitting. knew I wasn't far that's off. Fitting. But then I'm just saying they just put these bands in. Like, how many times are you going to put Phil Collins in the Hall of Fame? You know, like, how many times are you going to put in a, a, a producer that did one song 
back in 1962 and, and say, oh, he's going to go in the Hall of Fame. When you got these, this band that's playing all over the world, they broke barriers down, and they're still ignored. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So the, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was conceived by um, the producer and record mogul Ahmed Erigan, which we could do a whole show on, like, him mm-hmm. and Clive Davis. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, you don't know who picks them every year. There's a different committee of 24 people every year that rotates through. I never some, knew that. It's some journalists. So the rumor is that some of the people that are on the committee this year includes Questlove from The Roots. Dave Grohl and Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine. And I found like a little statement on the whole, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame website saying like, what's the criteria? And they just said, the only criteria is that uh, it, the band has to be around for 25 years and that's it. Anything else is they don't care about what record label you're on. They don't care how many albums you sold, how many hits you've had. It's just the influence you've had on rock and roll, which makes it completely subjective depending on who is who is around. That's Motley Crue coming up on the motorcycles right now. Brian, like you were saying, I mean, they, they sold over 100 million records. 100 million records. Over. It's, it's a no-brainer. But if they were like this prestigious band, they'd be in already. But, if they, but they'd see like Motley Crue as a clown band. Bruce, have you ever been to the actual Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland? I have not. That is on our list it's of places me, to go. Ryan and I went I a couple of years ago. I love it there. Like the actual museum is really cool. They have a lot of stuff with bands that aren't inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I don't even remember seeing anything Motley Crue while we were there. Like I, anything. Yeah, I, I don't remember seeing much of hard rock stuff there. I remember seeing some Aerosmith stuff and they had a little metallic section. That they had a lot of stuff. I, I, I think they had a lot of stuff, but I like I don't remember seeing anything from Motley. Not at all. Def Leppard. I don't remember seeing anything from that error. No. I just think that whole error is... Like some Bon Jovi stuff, but I think that's like they were getting inducted that year. Yeah. But that's it. And that's, I guess, one of the things I was thinking about when we were talking about this episode is like that whole genre of music in general. It's frowned upon. It's a joke. It's just written off is because of the the goofy looks and the, the hair and the spandex and... You know, growing up, Seeing all that stuff, it's like I was a huge Poison fan and the, you know, Motley fan. And to me, it was all about the music. I never even saw the makeup. I never even saw the hair. It didn't, it didn't make me want to wear makeup. It, it was over wanna... by the time we started listening to them. Yeah, we were get, it was more getting into like the motorcycle Motley crew. Well, I think they were going to probably make a run for the Hall of Fame this year, Motley crew, because they had that big concert planned. Uh, Death Leopard, Poison, Joan Jett, and Motley Crue, and I think that I th- it would have been awesome. It was going to be a sellout, um, but I think that was their run for the Rock and Roll of Fame. They would have closed the show, even though Death Leopard would have been the the second last band to play, and they've been already inducted. So for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame too, there's two different kind of like fan votes that happen outside of those. Um, the the mystery group of 24 people that pick one is there's an online fan vote um which is the one that and you can vote as many times as you want yeah which is the last seven of the last eight people to win that fan vote got inducted the only one who did not was the dave matthews band which dude don't I be was in shocked. the rock and roll. i was shocked by that They'll be in the Rock and Roll of Fame way before they'll put Motley Crue in the Rock and Roll of Fame. Which is a travesty. It is a travesty, but that's the part that I'm talking about. They'll put these prestigious, what they think is prestigious. They put these bands in, like Dave Matthews, and do they deserve to be in the Rock and Roll of Fame? Sure. Why not? Abba's in there. You know? Right. (laughs) So, and then the other vote is called the Voice Your Choice vote, which is actually at the museum. I guess you go and you can hit a kiosk or something. We did that when we were... Well, Motley Crue won that last year. And they still got ignored. They're the... Stevie Nicks won that the year before. Right on. And she was abducted. So Motley Crue beat out Blink-182, with even the fact that they would be considered for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Iron Maiden, who... I can't believe they're not in. I agree. Um, the Dave Matthews Band, Weezer, and Cher. That's... And I was like, come on. Like, you're going to put them yeah. in that, like... That, they just blow them away, uh, out everybody. Does the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame even matter? No. I think it's a cool museum. It's fun to go to and see, like, your heroes. So, like, we saw Cliff Burton's bass 
You know, it's a cool place to visit. Do you take it seriously and be like, they are, they say like, what's classic. I don't think, I don't think a lot of artists and it's, everybody said it, that it doesn't matter just to get inducted. Okay. Say you're inducted to rock and roll fame. Then you go to the actual induction. I think a table, one table is 10 grand. And people are like, I don't want to pay that. You know? Yeah. Like it's a, it's, it's a gimmick. I would imagine it's, it's cool to see the artifacts if you're really into music and the history of it. Yeah, it is cool. We saw one of the first guitars already made by Les Paul. And what he had was, it was a railroad track, you know, and he cut it off and he put wires on there and he made a guitar out of it. Yeah, it was called the log. Yeah. Is that what it was called? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yes. And, and like he took the guitar apart. He just put the body on there to make it look nicer. How wild is that? But I, I don't know, like, for musicians that they really sit around. And, and there's always a the couple famous musicians that, uh, that just absolutely crapped on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah. Like, yeah, this, when the Sex Pistols got in, Johnny Rotten called it a piss stain. Well, I'm sure Nikki Six really hasn't said very nice things about them. <laughs> he did not. And I actually do have a quote from Nikki Six uh, somewhere I'm on sure, my notes. I'm I mean, sure he does. <laughs> Bruce Dickinson from Iron Maiden said it's run by a bunch of sanctimonious, bloody Americans who wouldn't know rock and roll if it hit him in the face. Good for um, you, Bruce. Thank you. Yeah, Tommy Lee said he thinks that they, they deserve to be in, but he thinks it's a good old boys network. Secret handshake. Does I'll ask both of you guys this. Do you think like the, the rise of like the Me Too movement hurts Motley Crue? You're both nodding your head. Maybe that's a little thing of how they treated women all those years. Maybe they'll get some backlash. I'd never even thought about that. But it's a band called Motley Crue. They had that movie. That movie was very successful. And I mean the Me Too movement both in their music and the fact that most of them are dirtbags and have some sort of, they have a history of yes. abusing women. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, not, they're not good people. <laughs> no, they, totally abuse, they totally abuse their partners, you know. Um, they're not good guys by no means. To make it in rock and roll, I don't think you can be a nice guy. I think um, the Me Too movement would be a big thing against them. You know, I think an album called Girls, Girls, Girls and have a bunch of strippers on the front of it, yeah. you know, is, is I a never thought about upon. Yeah, I never thought about that. I mean, their music was, it, it was objectifying sex and, and just casual relationships and drugs and strippers and all the good things <laughs> and all that kind of stuff but um yeah it, maybe that does play into it that people would not be down if they they get in but what about music today you know like it's very um i don't there's a song called like wop when we're doing our 500th episode and we're debating does cardi b belong in the hall of fame <laughs> because of her. yeah but i think if, if motley crew does get in the rock roll of fame Britney Spears will be that same year. I I predict I predict you're right. I think like bands like the Backstreet Boys, or I was thinking about it last night. I predict that New Kids on the Block will be inducted to the Rock and Roll of Fame before Motley Crue will. I see that as clear as day. Now, well, hopefully, Dave Grohl gets it together. He's like, no, man, we need the ambassador of rock and roll. We need to get these guys in here. He's got to be. He's like the voice on like the. Um, he's the only the one security left. Security Council of the United Nations. He's the only one left. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, Bruce, you're right. There are not nice guys. Vince Neil killed somebody. You know, flat out. I'm not going to tiptoe tiptoe around it. Um, Tommy Lee. He's you know he's always in the paper, doing something yeah. that he shouldn't be doing. He's a famous person. He's been famous, more famous. Than he's been alive. He's almost celebrity more than a drummer. He did a reality TV, the dirty movie he made, you know. Right. Tommy Lee goes to college. Yeah. Like, who, who yeah. wanted to watch that? The video with Pamela Anderson. I mean, everybody our age, we all saw it. You know, he's. But I think Tommy stopped being a musician and started being a celebrity a long time ago. Well, I think, I think, I think Tommy always wanted to be out in the front light instead of Vince. So that's why he always had these contractions of drum solos and he wanted his moment he's such an egotistical person so you think that's why he had like the roller coaster totally he wanted to be he wants he wants to be the center of attention he doesn't need that shit though he doesn't need it he's a great 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 drummer he's a better drummer than Lars Ulrich is and I'm a huge Metallica fan Tommy Lee is no joke 
Did you go see the Alice Cooper Motley Crue finale show? And yes. Did you see it in Philadelphia, or did you see it in somewhere yes. in Jersey? No, I saw it in Philadelphia. I was at the show. Alice Cooper was fantastic. We were all, all three of us were at that show. No, he had to work that I was night. Oh. That night. So, first of all, Alice Cooper was like the greatest thing I've ever seen in my amazing. life. It was amazing. Yeah. It was amazing. So during that whole show, speaking of Tommy Lee, Tommy, besides his roller coaster or whatever he had going on, you see him in the background. And he had no lights on him, nothing. He's just sitting there drumming with, like, I was like, well, that's kind of, like, I wonder why that is, why he's not, like you said, he wants to be out there out front and this and that. And it was kind of disappointing. You didn't really see him that much until he did his, his, his moment. Yeah. He's dressed up like, like Daffy Duck. Oh, I can only do this once and blows himself up, you know? So you think because the spotlight wasn't on him. I think that's a big thing. I think it's a really big thing. I think he's a very, he has a huge, huge ego. In my opinion, Motley Crue is Nikki Six, Tommy Lee, Vince Neil, and Mick, Mo- Mick Mars by popularity. That's just my opinion. Well, and if you want to go by even by talent, Mick Mars would be on top of all of them. Mick Mars is a monster. I think he's very underrated guitar Ugh. player, and he's like the the quiet one. And yeah, he's older than all those a lot other of guys. Is- he's a couple years older. He's got the, the health issues with the real bad. Um, even back then, the arthritic condition that he's like his lower bodies all his lower spines all fused together and he even when they did the um when they announced that tour with Def Leppard and Poison they all came out and did one giant press conference together mm-hmm. and Mick Mars is kind he of rolled them little, out little, little <laughs> trolley looking that's, dude that's in the horrible. corner that's horrible like yeah. Dracula comes out like yeah. Dracula he's yeah. he's a cool 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 guy to him and he's a he knows his licks the one thing that always I've been thinking about Mick Mars, he's a huge Jeff Beck fan. Huge Jeff Beck fan. You can hear it in his playing. It's certainly um, beginning of Kickstart My Heart. Um, the guitar solo in Girls, Girls, Girls. It says, if Jeff Beck, you ever listened to much yeah. Jeff Beck? He has a style of playing guitar that he, how he bends his notes. Like, he doesn't even, like, pick per se. He uses, like, the whammy bar to make noises, to bend to the... the to bend the strings mm-hmm. you probably know more about it than mm-hmm. i would do i never i never heard, made that connection but it makes sense yeah yeah i read it all through my life seeing that it was a jeff beck fanatic because like like he does shred but he, he does have like a slow hand kind of play to himself is he my favorite guitar player not really but i give him like all the credit in the world like he made a lot of hooks huge For, hooks one of the Biggest things I ever heard in my life, and even I hear today, that still gets my blood pumping when I hear it, you hear it at hockey games, it's kickstart my heart. The beginning of that is unreal. You should listen to some Jeff Beck and, you know, check it out. Be like, yeah. you know, see how I, he bends his notes and, you know, and just think about Mick Mars and how the kickstart my heart has that. But, he, but he's part of that generation. Totally. Like he, that was his idol, most like, likely. I don't, I don't know. I think you know, only those like guys Hendrickson could make that sound they had. Like, the perfect guys to come together could only do what they did. Sure. Like, I think that's why it didn't work with John Karabi. Was that a good album? Yeah, Hooligan's Holiday is a great song. It has great drums, has great bass. It, it moves. His voice sounds great on it. But did it work? No. You know why that song sounds so good? Bob Rock. Bob Rock produced everything they did from Dr. Feelgood even up until the dirt. Before them, before him, I have it written down here. Their only producer before that was Tom Worman. Mm. I, I think I'm pronounce, pronouncing his name right. He, their, fir, like, their first album, Motley Crue's first album, they produced it themselves because they were a band. So they have only worked with two producers in their life. So. As much as like Bob Rock's a house, but growing up, me and Ryan, growing up, Bob Rock is a household name. You know, he did everything. He did 311, you know? I didn't know that. Yeah. And um, like Dr. Feelgood was a huge, huge, huge success. And Bob Rock got the Metallica job from that album, not the whole album, the first 30 seconds, apparently, like St. James Hetfield said. That's how Bob Rock got that job. Yeah. You know, but um, you're only as good as the people you work with. Like, Like you said, the band. Only those four guys can make that sound. I think it's like the same thing with the Ramones. Only Absolutely. those guys could have made that sound. Yeah. You know, it couldn't just those guys in the universe met together and made a sound and it was, and it was offensive. Yeah. The band was Vince Mick, 
Tommy and Nikki Six, and then they did have that one brief where Vince Neil says he was fired, the band says he quit, it was whatever. And they had John Karabi. They came out with that one album. I I was surprised to hear you guys say that you enjoyed Hooligans Holiday that, well, as well. I get that's... I get in fights all the t- like not in fights, but in confrontations with my girlfriend and all her friends because they're huge Motley Crue fans. I, in my opinion, that's in my top five Motley Crue songs. It's heavy. It was it was just hit hard. Vince could have sang on that song. You think so? Definitely. I was listening to it today. And I was and I was listening, especially the effects that they put on on the voice on there. He would have killed it. He, I like the low growl that John Karabi has. He's a Vince, fabulous, and Vince Neil's voice is very thin. It kind of like sits on top of the music. Mm-hmm. And and he brought another he brought another guitar to the band, and that's huge. Didn't work though. They didn't want it to work because they were playing like they weren't getting the crowd. And I understand that people. I would me and Ryan probably would have gone seen if we had the opportunity. It's not Motley Crue. You know, and they were going to change the name of the band, yeah. but they were told not to. And then they had, um, you know, Tommy Lee was out of the band for a couple of years. They had uh, Randy Castillo was Which Ozzy's is, old, he's great. amazing drummer. Ozzy's old drummer. He passed away a few years. Yeah, he died yeah. of cancer. Yeah. And then they picked up uh, Samantha Maloney, From who Hole. was the drummer for Hole, filled in until the four of them got back together. But then did they have a contest? They had a contest with a, they had another female drummer for like that Carnival of Souls like thing they had some unknown woman playing drums for them i think she won a contest tommy wasn't on that tour maybe whatever maybe it was before no he wasn't no i don't know i was listening to uh, it. there was something i was watching maybe it's not carnival of souls maybe it's something prior to that but i'm pretty sure they they had a gimmick and they had a contest and they had somebody drum for them i could be completely wrong but i, I want to talk about something here's motley crew on the sunset strip in 1981, we'll say. 1981, on the Sunset Strip, had a huge hardcore scene. Huge hardcore scene. There's a movie called Decline of Western Civilization. I just watched that. The part one is, it's basically all what's going on on the strip of that time. The first, the first film is about the hardcore scene, and that's 1981. And imagine being Motley Crue coming out and opening up for a hardcore band. Imagine, imagine that. Like they come in, people are spitting on them, people starting fights with them. Everything. It must not have been easy. Are you talking like the Black Flag era? Like, yeah, or totally, yeah. totally. I mean, they were posers. They were this. They were that. You know, everything that Henry Rollins talks about, they are like you know everything that Henry Rollins probably hates that Motley <laughs> Crue is. <laughs> oh yeah, he totally has ripped on Motley Crue over the years. But I mean, we're all huge Henry Rollins fans here. But yeah, it must have been hard being trying to change the scene. And they changed it. And they changed it. But if you watch Western Civilization Part 2, it's glam. It's glam. It was right around when they probably did uh, Theater of Pain. And everybody was on that bandwagon wearing the lipstick again. And doing Do you think MTV that. had a big part totally. with them being as successful totally. as they were? Because they had a big female... A big female following, you yeah. know, and can you, can you say, because like, okay, like the, the eyeliner, the big hair, the, this, the, that, like, do you think that's why they were show because of the female, they were just, just in love with. Yeah, I don't with- think they cared about the dudes. I don't think they cared about the dude fans. I think no. they were all about the yeah. chicks. Well, what Lars Ulrich said one time, like when they did the black album, they're on the tour. He's like, man, half the, half the women, half, half the crowd out there are women. That's when you know you make in rock and roll when the girls start showing up. Well, going back, when we saw them, I guess it was, we were 14 years old. Dr. Feelgood tour. Yeah. The Dr. Feelgood tour. And it was, you know, the two 14-year-old kids, you know, these bombshells that are all around the spectrum flashing their boobs. This you is know, the greatest place this ever. This is the greatest. Like, and my mom took us. <laughs> I think she fell asleep during it. Though. Which is funny because we were just talking about, like, will the, will the Me Too movement impact them getting into the rock and roll hall of fame i think you're right about that but 40 years ago or 30 years ago when you're going to see them it was like the if the girls were like i I didn't see them right then i saw them a couple years ago and i would have seen them this year i spent six hundred dollars did you really see them with poison dude me and ryan were going to sneak into that that was our plan we didn't even buy tickets we're gonna like just sneak in we bought the kid like def leopard t-shirts that's awesome gave him tickets for christmas so we're we're gonna go next year hopefully they're gonna come back they'll come 
The date's already rescheduled. Yeah, I saw that. But it's interesting to think that now, like looking at it in hindsight, oh, well, you know, they were misogynist and they were hedonist. And totally. They were, they were decadent. But at the time, if it was the girls that were all about going to see. They were all about it. Nobody was forcing them to do anything. They were all about it. I was there. <laughs> I saw it. How many shows, this tour that was supposed to happen, how many shows did they have lined up for that tour with that, well, all the bands? Was it like four or five or? No, it was more than that. So there you go. You have multiple cities with people that are our age and older that are showing up to this, this show and Motley Crue showing it. So I don't think, I think it was just the times and people love time capsules. That's why people were going. That's where I was going. Like Ryan and I are big, huge Fish fans. Fish was going to play three shows in Atlantic City. And one in Hershey right before that. So right in the middle of that was going to be that Motley Crue, Def Leppard, whatever show. And we were like, okay, well, we're not going to go see Fish in Atlantic City. We're going to stay home and walk to, we have to, I have to see this, walk to that show. Going back to Motley, the, the first album cover, I just read this, was um, Too Fast for Love. Mm-hmm. I read it, it was a joke on Sticky Fingers. You ever look at the, the Too Fast for Love? It's like belt buckle, and it's almost like sticky fingers. Like they were making a joke out of it. It's interesting. Yeah. And, and I it, never thought of that. And then on Girls, 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 if you look on the flip side, they're all against the wall, and they're peeing on the wall, and it's supposed to be the Who album cover. Huh. Yeah, it's some really fun stuff that- So it's like a little, a little punkish No, they, they totally had a sense of humor, and I, I think that's why they were so, they were so fun. All their music was fun. You know, no, nothing was a bummer about them at all. If anything was a bummer is when Vince got kicked out of the band. I, the bummer was reading, like, oh, Vince Neil killed somebody. Ne- well, yeah. That was, that was definitely the worst moment of Motley Crue history when he killed somebody. But for him getting kicked out of the band, I remember saying it's over. And then slowly the meltdown help start happening. Bands stopped getting dropped off at MTV. Nirvana was on all the time. You know, imagine being a part of a scene one minute and Nirvana coming in and totally making a meltdown. Like, overnight, you're stupid. Motley Crue is stupid. Yeah, but I was talking before about, like, the pendulum swinging from punk and the, you know, the guys all wearing the black jeans and the black jackets and the same, like, the Ramones swinging the other way over to Motley Crue. I can't think of another moment in music where like everything that happened after Nirvana was completely different than anything before. Yeah, but let's talk about like how Motley survived that. You know, there's very few bands that are sticking around that that made it through that meltdown and it and that are on that tour that was going to be on that Motley tour. You know, I think I think it's a special special thing that Motley made it through the meltdown. I don't think, if you weren't a good band, you wouldn't, you wouldn't still be around all these years later. Well, I think a lot of that has to do with Nikki Six. He's, like, going back to the Sticky Fingers and the Who album cover and everything like that, he knows what he's doing. He, you know, he, in business, he's a great businessman. He just sold all his, all his music. I, I, don't, I didn't see what he got for it, but I'm sure it's a lot of money. I think I wrote it down here. I'm pretty sure we're going to see, like, a... Uh, a baseball commercial or something and like we kickstart my heart in it soon. I, I, in my opinion, I think Nikki six is a great businessman. I think he's a visionary and he, that band would never even existed or even made it past the gate without him. No, he, regardless of the, the writing and that that's completely, I'm just talking about the marketing of it. It's all him. No, I mean, he pushed the envelope. If you look on the, the liner notes of shout at the devil, it says that we're not responsible for the backwards playing of this album. I think he was trying to do whatever he could to be like, like you know, controversial. Controversial. When they start putting the panel advisory stickers out, they're like, "Oh, we're going to put this in your album." Great. It's like awesome. We're going to sell a million more albums because you did that. Well, I think he originally the album was supposed to call "Shout with the Devil." That's what he wanted it to be called, and they're like, "That's not going to happen." Will you ever see the original album cover? It's a pentagram. Yeah, it's yeah, just a pentagram. Yeah, I looked at it today and on on Spotify, and it's just, it's just a black cover. Yeah, but I remember growing up as a kid, going to Sound Odyssey and this and that, and going to the, like the vinyl section or whatever, and seeing that like, man, this is like, what is this? When you have bands like Maiden that have that same visual thing, even though Maiden's a lot harder of a band, and like your Slayer and this and that and Anthrax, but then you have Motley Crue. They made it their own. This they is did. like our yeah. sign. Yeah. 
This is our sign. We adopted it. When you look at it, you will think of the crew. I think they totally and I think you're right on that. That's interesting too. I hadn't thought about that. The um like the imagery that they were using and all that I mean, other kind of stuff. Oh my god. It, like it was a monster move. That's funny. You're like, they're gonna put the sticker on it. Yeah, great, that's a great idea. Put it on there. Well, even like I mean the publicity stunts to get attention when I was reading into like their personal lives and all the scandals and that they had a whole I guess, you know, they they go on tour with Ozzy. And there's the famous where they were trying to out-party Ozzy, and Ozzy snorted the line of ants off the floor, and then Tommy Lee was like drinking his, licking his own pee off the pool deck. When they go up to Canada, they had all these Vince Neils busted at the border because he's got a suitcase full of dirty magazines, and there was like alleged bomb threats, and it turned out it was all made up. It was all like a PR stunt that they, that they were like kicked out of Canada, and it was like part of their shtick to get more publicity for themselves. Here's a story for you. So we're, we live in South Philadelphia. So down the baseball stadium, there used to be the holiday and they had the famous, um, uh, always sunny episode with the, they had the tunnel into uh, Citizen Bank Park, whatever. So that hotel has been there, was there a very long time. Somebody we knew was the manager of that hotel. So I guess it might've been like 87. It was a long time ago when they played the Spectrum. So they stayed at that hotel. They completely, absolutely destroyed a whole floor they were not ever allowed to stay there ever again and guns and roses wasn't allowed to stay there anything remotely close to anything like those guys but they completely did so much damage it was unbelievable should do a whole episode on that on uh bands that were banned from the holiday inn at down by the stadiums in philadelphia but i remember hearing that when we were kids i've heard that a million years ago that story so they're 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 known, like we were saying, they're known more for their outside the music just as much as inside. Like everybody knows who Motley Crew is. Well, I don't know about these kids today. I don't know what they do. But they probably watched the dirt. Yeah, they probably did. I don't know. I think that they'll, they'll, they'll be in there regardless of how people feel today, everybody's feelings. And the voice, and you know, everybody has a voice, but there's a lot of people out there that want to see them in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And also the benefit is too that they're none of them died. You know, they're all they're like they have the benefit of longevity. We could discuss whether they've made anything musically relevant in the last twenty years, and I'm sure we can get into that. They did do a great song, I thought. If I die tomorrow, it's a really great song. There's some really great words. The best song they've done. I don't think they'll ever do a better song than that. It's a really great song. Next time you get a chance, if I die tomorrow. But I think for bands like Motley Crue and they're they're not they don't need to write another song. Just yeah. go tour. Like Ozzy Osbourne, for example, I remember hearing on the radio they were talking about. Well, Ozzy had a hard time. Like, should I release a whole album or an EP? Oh, I'm just going to release an EP because it doesn't matter. I'm going to this and that song's going to get played on the radio or the internet wherever people listen to music anymore. And then I'll go go tour, and that's where artists make their money because the music business is dead. You know. Meaning like selling albums and this, and you have to go tour. So they were, they were going to make a ton of money on that tour. They were going to make it. And it's a shame. And you know, hopefully everything works out and we'll be, yeah. we'll be talking about that show one day. If I remember. it. Cool. Well, I think this is a great place to take a commercial break. Yes, we have sponsors and then we'll come back in a couple seconds and we'll bring it home. This episode of The Prisoners of Rock and Roll is brought to you by McCusker's Tavern, located at 17th and Shunk Streets in South Philadelphia. McCusker's Tavern has been in business for more than 50 years, making it the oldest bar west of Broad Street and a city known for its neighborhood watering holes. Minutes from the sports stadium, McCusker's is a great place to stop in for a few beers before or after a game or a concert. There's a reason why everyone from Philadelphia Magazine to Playboy have ranked it as one of the best dive bars in the city. Music is such an important part of McCusker's Tavern that we're actually recording this episode from there right now. They're currently closed due to the pandemic, but miss everyone and hope to see them soon. In the meantime, check them out on Facebook. That's McCusker's Tavern. All right, so we're back from our commercial break. We're talking Motley Crue. Ryan, I think you had a quote you wanted to read us. Yes, I think this goes along with the Rock and Roll fame. I'm a big fan of Nikki Sixx's writing. Um, his quote here says, there's always people saying that rock and roll is dead. Rock is over. People are always out of, to kill rock and roll. I think he's right. I think everybody is still out to kill rock and roll um, or versions of rock and roll. Um, yeah, Nikki Six is 
a great author also. I don't know if he his version of his pieces of the dirt was really great. They made into a movie, which was awesome. But a lot from the dirt, the movie was from the Heroin Diaries, which I really enjoy. If you guys ever looked at the Heroin Diaries? I believe Doug, you read it. I read it. It's again. a beautiful book. So that's what I said to Bruce earlier. It's a beautiful book. If you flip through it, the very the art in it and how Nikki writes from his journal and. It's really a sad, sad story, and it's amazing that he came through, came through it, and to live into another life and success. And but what is amazing is that he did the heroin diaries. He wrote the book, but he had that band called Six AM, was a major success on popular radio and in rock and roll. They were doing tours. Now that just says something about Nikki Six, Molly Crew. All right, their heydays over. This that da da da. So he went on to do something else very successful. And we'll probably see another album from them again eventually. Yeah, he, yeah definitely, definitely, definitely. I think he put that on the back burner for this tour sure. that, that they were going to do for the summer. Yeah, so I, I did a little research into the side project that they all did, and all four of them did some other stuff. Um, I listened to everything that they've all done, and it was a um, – Must have been interesting. It was a, a little <laughs> bit torturous. So um, Vince Neil did a, a couple solo albums. They're, you're invited, but your friends can't come. They're not good. Yeah. Um, Tommy Lee did um, a couple solo albums. He did some guest stuff. He did some stuff with Rob Zombie, which yeah. I was like, oh, cool, that I, I, that makes sense. Some stuff with Smashing Pumpkins. He drums on a Post Malone song. He's a great drummer. He's a he's a great drummer. I'm not taking anything yeah. away from him. He's amazing. But but then he he went into the new metal and was in that band Methods of Mayhem. Oh, Methods of Crap. Yeah. And I know we said we're not going to come in here and just be the grumpy old men complaining about music. But that was a... New metal is just not... We could do a whole thing on that. It's just not a... That may be our, one of our next shows about the new metal. Whatever yeah, they called new metal 20 years wasn't ago. Wasn't a good... Wasn't, it wasn't a good... And then Well, he, he was playing guitar in that band. He was playing guitar and singing. Like, yeah. come on, dude. And then he was on that, that reality show called Rockstar Supernova. Where they were trying to pick the the singer, it was like um, I, I I think in excess was like first yeah. with that, like trying to find their own singer, yeah. and then he was in this band. It was him, it was Jason Newstead, Newstead from Metallica, and Gilby Clark from GNR, and they the winner got to be the the singer, and that I, I never even heard that. about yeah, it. Yeah, I never even heard that. I missed it was, that. It was bad. No, um, okay. Yeah. Well, speaking um, it, and then Nikki Six had six a.m. and he was in Brides of Destruction. Which is a super group with Tracy Guns from LA Guns, nice. which was also not good. And then Mick Mars has just kind of done some like some odds and ends stuff. I would love for him to put out a solo album. Just a, you know, I, he said that he was working with John Karabi and he has a bunch of tracks out. I would love, love, love to hear just his version of what he sounds like. Who? Mick Mars. Mick Mars. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I think he's an awesome guitar player. There, but he's so outshined by the whole Motley Crue thing. Like, the name Motley Crue, dude, it's bigger than themselves. Yeah. I mean, they're they're so, like, the hedonistic, like, we are about sex, drugs, and rock and they roll. Are. and And we're about the party and the lifestyle and the girls. And Mick Myers was just kind of this wearing all black. He, he kind of got this kind of, like, Aussie look to him. Yeah, he and, never partied with all of them. He just, like, went through well, his he, he was a bad alcoholic. Guy. He was a bad alcoholic back then. So. But something on the subject of where Motley Crue stands today. So somebody just sent me this. Um so last night was a South Park episode. A lot of people watched it. It was about COVID, I believe. I haven't watched it yet. So one of the big scenes in the show, I haven't seen it yet, was they used Kickstart My Heart in the show last night. So I have to go back and actually watch it. I have the, the clip here. Um, they'll never die. They'll never die. But that's something Even to say. Even when they're dead, they'll never die. I, I guess you made it if you're in a South Park episode. It's Who hasn't like, been in a South Park episode? I mean, and you were saying earlier, I mean, that, that iconic of the guitar at the beginning, like, I think Dr. Feelgood was the first CD I ever owned. Oh, wow. I think I remember for, like, Christmas, my parents buying me the huge boombox with the double cassette tape. Nice. You could, you could, you know, wait for the radio and tape the stuff and make mixtapes for your girl. But it had a <laughs> CD player in it, and it, 
kickstart my heart was my parents bought it for me and didn't probably know what they were getting me. And I remember Christmas Day putting it on and firing up that burn. <laughs> my parents going like, what have we done? <laughs> what did we do? And that started a whole thing of me, you know, in my room playing Vulgar Display of Power yeah. by Pantera. And my parents tell me to turn it down. And, you know, the, the every that every teenager goes through. Um, you know, another thing, speaking of teenagers, another point about Motley Crue was like, if you were like around our age in our mid forties, we all wanted to be a rock star. Totally. And still right? still and you wanted be. to be in that band. You yeah. know, like, yeah, maybe I didn't want to be a heroin addict and yeah. kill somebody by with drunk driving, but just the, what it meant to be a rock star in the eighties. That's, they were like the pinnacle of that. Super cool. Was, right. They, they were what they preached. Right. They were getting girls. There's videos. They're riding motorcycles. Like Ryan, like you were saying, they're motorcycles and cars and they had pyrotechnics. And I, I think even the last time I saw them with Alice Cooper at the end of the show, Tommy Lee is upside down on the little roller coaster thing. And Mick Mars had a flamethrower on the end of his guitar. And he no, was just moving. Nicky Six did. Nicky Six did. On the end of his and base. it was just the flamethrowers coming out. I'm like, this is the most 80s thing I've ever seen. It's great. This is the greatest right. thing I've ever seen in my life. And it totally yeah. overwrote the fact that Vince Neil, in my opinion, can't sing anymore. And no, his, not at all. His voice sounded awful. I was listening to some of his early stuff. When he was a kid, he can sing that stuff, well, but there's no longevity to his sound. When you're kicking almost 60 years old. No, you know, I, who, I understand that. I understand. Can. That. But it's, um, I don't think their music is ever going to go away. So no, good bands never die. So their resurgence, do you think that is a, an 80s, like a nostalgia for that kind of music? Do you think it was because the dirt was so popular? I think so. And I, th- and I think, you know, 2020 and hopefully when this is all over, everybody's going to want to have a good time again after this is all over. The dirt definitely helped them. Definitely helped them bring them back to mainstream sites. Um, I never stopped listening to Motley. Yeah. I didn't either. I, I never stopped. Um, it, it's always been in my rotation. Um, I just think they, the movie helped them out and then now they're cool again. Or, you know, people think they're cool. They were introduced to another... Um, generation another generation because of that movie their website has a little bio on all their you know how awesome they are and all their statistics and they said that they're we're so awesome the streams of their music after in the six months after the dirt came out went up 350 percent i love music biographies everything from a documentary on netflix to movie productions like i i really enjoyed bohemian rhapsody i wanted to go see it just because i'm a queen fan i'm a music fan i thought the dirt was way better than bohemian rhapsody bohemian rhapsody in the be- in the in the beginning, Sasha Baron Cohen is as named Borax was going to play Freddie was going to play Freddie Mercury because he wanted to make the real movie yeah. with the sex with the drugs even though it was in Bohemian Rhapsody they're like this not he wanted to make a Freddie Mercury movie they wanted to make a Disney movie he wanted to make the real movie like the about the real darkness the real like like I didn't oh not to get off subject from Motley Crue but I think like um, Freddie Mercury was on heavy drugs and he would just go away with like David Bowie and just go do a bunch of drugs and just yeah. lay low. I think I forget where they were. They were somewhere in the Caribbean or something like that. They did it for or South of France or something like that. And he was there for like six months. I, I think the dirt had a big part of the resurgence. I thought the dirt was dirty. It was a look, it was much more of a look under the hood. I thought that was the Sesame Street version of the book. And it probably was. I haven't yes. read the book, but uh, uh, you I'll read have, the book. I'm sure. It's fun. Read the book. It's yeah. fun. Yeah. I'm sure. It, yeah. Motley has always been known for their videos, but I think they've really been known for this live band, being a live band. When you go to a Motley Crue show, you know you're at a Motley Crue show. It's up to 11, things are blowing up, and girls are showing their boobies. So I gotta... So we went and saw them at the, the Alice Cooper show. Um, and I, you know, we've all, the three of us have been to a ton of concerts. And I remember walking in. And as we're in line, it was, you know, we're noticing kids that are like 18, 19 years old and they got the eyeliner and they're dressed up. They got the hair teased up and we're like, what the hell is going on here? And it was like the younger crowd where it was them. And then it was people that look like they haven't been out of their house since the last Monday crew tour. Sure. Um, But glam still exists. Like, you know, I see it in the city. I saw it today. I was walking three blocks to my house and I saw a kid in glam. It still exists. Like that, that, that look, the attitude, it wasn't like hardcore, like Motley Crue attitude. And this has no relevancy to Motley Crue, but it's also one of my favorite concert stories of all time. And I'm sure we'll be sharing a ton of concert stories 
in this podcast is we were walking up to get in the line to go in to see Motley Crue. There was a guy that had a, like a, a like a fifth one of the little like flask sized bottles of Jack Daniels, and he's like slugging it back. I'm like, this dude's gonna try to walk right into security with this, and he, like he's so drunk he doesn't even know. And security stops him. They like, sir, you can't walk in with a bottle of Jack Daniels, and they confiscate it. And they put it on the little table and they go to pat it down. The guy, like, he knocks the bottle off the table on the floor, kicks it with his foot underneath the table, goes through security, bends down, picks it up, puts it right <laughs> back in his pocket and keeps running. And if I there's was like, a will, there's a way. I'm sure it's not the first time he's ever done it. Right. I was like, wow. I was like, that guy I is applaud, a master. I applaud that, man. Yes. Yes, sir. If you're listening to us, um, I will buy you a beer at McCusker's Tavern if you ever come in. But the, the fact that they're the live show is probably a big part of their continued success because I'm like, I'm sorry, Vince Neil just can't sing anymore. Can't sing. It's, it's the routine they put on. Like when you put on a concert, been, we've all been there with a million shows. For example, saw Paul McCartney two years, one year. And then I saw him two years after that. It was the same exact show, the same stories, the same, I'm like, dude, you're Paul McCartney. You have a million stories. Why are you telling this Jimi Hendrix story again? But it's a part of the routine. Even though, like like you said, the flamethrowers and this and that, it's all about the good time. Even though Vince Neil can't sing, like Ryan does a great impression of Vince Neil. He sings every other word. Yeah. Oh, I, I, it's, I just think he's he has something against them. I think he's like, I'm going to phone in the songs that I don't like. But then when they went into songs that he, like, was like feel like primal scream he went for it like hardcore but when he did something like um smoking in the boys room or something like uh i don't know without with with what's it was called without you yeah, yeah. it was all like phoned in i just think his passion is going it's like all right is this over yet the joke with us when we saw them was they were going through some of the ballads and it was like this he can't sing anymore so when he sang don't go away man just go away we went, we left. Yeah, yeah. We're like, All right, we hear you. We're, we're out. Thank you. We'll go. But I was also, is, I want to say I was kind of disappointed the last time I saw them. Sure. Yeah, I was really su- disappointed. I was super amped to see him again with, with Def Leppard yeah. and Poison. I think they would have upped their game a little bit more, especially they said, we're not coming back. They're like, oh, this is our retirement. We're not coming back. Motley's done. I think they, they would have to bring it and some to, to win back. The concert sales. They had a whole thing that they that was their farewell tour. Yeah, you know, their people spent. But that went on for a while. It didn't go as long as the Kiss farewell tour, but it went awfully long. Ryan, do you remember our twenty first birthday? Motley Crue did a show at the Electric Factory. Yeah, it was the premiere of Generation Swine. A lot of people showed up. And they just played that album. People were standing there like, oh, what is this? Like, this nobody's sucks. Ever- yeah, it did suck. <laughs> Nobody knows what any of this music is. But I think the last four shows, songs were Primal Scream, Kickstart My Heart, and Anarchy in the UK, let's say. When that album came out, that was like the four of them were in the black suits and they were yeah. wearing like the pig heads. Yeah. yeah, They were teasing that by – for weeks beforehand, they were showing the picture, the image of the four of them, but they didn't say who it was. And they were teasing who the band was. And it became the kind of like, who is that? Yeah. And then the rumor was that it was going to be Motley Crue, that they, the four of them were back together. They were going to put out another album. And I like Primal Scream, too. I wanted to bring that up. That song, just the beginning, just the drums yeah. in that song, like Ryan says, like Tommy Lee's an amazing drummer. He is. Just don't. But I thought they were going in such a good direction before Vince Neil left the band. It's like Primal Scream was such a with such an anthem in its own way. But then they kicked Vince out of the band, and the next song was Hooligan's Holiday. It was like, whoa, this could have really been Vince Neil's also on this album. No, I understand what you're saying. Both those songs are heavy-hitting songs. And I, I remember Motley Crue broke up right after Prime Scream, and it was like a decade of decadences. Greatest Hits album. The Greatest Hits album. And the best song they did in a long time was the last song they did. Van Halen did the same thing when they kicked Sammy Hagar out of the band. They did Humans Being, and that was for, for the Twister soundtrack. And that song was a monster. It's one of Eddie Van Halen's greatest guitar solos. And that and that song was written, because they weren't getting along, that song was written through the mail. It's a shame, like, a lot of songs are written and then nothing positive comes after. Speaking of writing songs, or like, really read the words to Wild Side. He said he, Nikki Sixth said he wrote 
wild side, bastardizing the Lord's Prayer. This is a true thing. So if you if you read the lyrics of it, it kind of goes with Lord's Prayer. It starts out, kneel down, you sinners. It really related to it. The violence and everything that's from the street, I thought they captured it on this song. Um, I'm trying to find the lyric right here. The verse goes, name dropping, no names, glamorizing cocaine, puppets with strings of gold. East LA midnight, Papa won't be home tonight, found dead with his best friend's wife. And I was like, holy God, you know, this is something that I even know at 12 years old. And then goes to the next verse. It says, fatal strikes, we lie on the wild side. No escape, murder, rape, doing time on the wild side. A baby cries, a cop dies. A day's paid on the wild side. Sounds like the news today. At 12 years old, it was. A, this is happening at Broad and Snyder right now. Another song captured that decadence of city life is Welcome to the Jungle. I was going to bring up Guns N' Roses. Motley Crue, like, they wrote songs because they were living this. Guns N' Roses did that. Who who do you think lived that life more? Nikki Six. Bandwide, like Guns N' Roses or Motley Crue? I think Motley Crue. I'm not saying, like, Duff didn't sweat it out. Duff's not from California. Slash is. Yeah. Slash is from California. He lived there. He could go home to, to his parents' house and... Whatever. That's what goes along when I said when, you know, Nikki Six is comes from something different than the rest of the guys in the band. He was the abused kid. He had to run away from home. He lived on his own. He did what he had to do. His father didn't want anything to do with him. He changed his name, became his own person. But Axel Rose had the same. Well, you know, like Nikki was on the street. It was like Tommy could have went home. Vince was always with some girl, probably somewhere. And Mick Mars, you know, he's probably smart enough to have his, his own spot. I think Motley Crue is way more Hollywood sleaze than Guns N' Roses. I think Guns N' Roses copied Motley Crue sleaze, like the sleaze rock scene. You know, like you, you see it in those, those early pictures of Guns N' Roses. They got makeup on. Yeah. You know? But everybody did. Everybody had makeup on. You got to watch Western Civilization Part 2. It's hysterical. Oh, I, I just watched it. I just watched it. It was hysterical. We were talking about Generation Swine. Now, we, we worked in the record store, and we saw so much stuff that people tried to sell. Do you remember them trying to sell their, their soda? Yes. I had, the, I had a bottle of that soda on my desk at my job. Pork soda? Probably until, like, 2004. <laughs> It, it was it, blue, and you peed blue. It. it was blue, and it had like a like a hot rod on it. It was almost like this this Rob Zombie kind of looking looking thing. They always had good merchandise. Motley, their t shirts were always good. You know, growing up, it's, it's, it's like we only wore rock band shirts, and you know, like wearing a Motley Crue shirt was dangerous. Wearing it in South Philadelphia, all these yopo yokas doing Saturday Night Fever. Yeah. We're walking down the street with a Motley Crue shirt on, a Guns N' Roses shirt on, being called headbanger. Yeah, everybody's wearing Cavaricis and, and now, smell like Jakar. Or... And now all these years later, I'm not such a headbanger. And these same people are coming into the bar and playing Motley Crue on the jukebox. It's like true. The, like the class, they're on the classic rock circuit almost. Yeah, they're like, like oh, yeah, we, we love Motley Crue. I'm like, oh, I remember you like really breaking my balls about being a headbanger growing up. So I think maybe the, the final verdict is – they do belong in the Rock and Roll they Hall of sure Fame. They sure do. If, they're, if anything, Rock and Roll, Motley Crue should be involved in it. So I, I went through and I looked at the list of all – there were 338 members of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I was trying to come up with a list of anybody who's even close, saying like, you know, is there, is there a chance? The only bands I came up, came up with, and some of these are a little bit of a stretch, is ACDC, just again, like they're hard. Not in. They're not in? They are. These okay. are bands that are in. Oh, okay. So it's like they're they're hard. They're hard rock bands right. that are inducted. Alice Cooper, okay, the the grandfather of glam music. Sabbath, again, heavy. Def Leppard, I I think I always look at Def Leppard as they came out of that hair mm-hmm. yeah. hair generation. Guns and Roses, we just talked about. Kiss, I mean, you want to talk about like performance and all that other stuff. Um, and Metallica. Yeah. Other than that, what about no- Bon Jovi. Bon Jovi's a good one too. Yeah, yeah. Bon Jovi could could fall into that. Yeah. Um, there are no bands with umlauts in their name, <laughs> so I looked for Blue Oyster Cult, Motorhead, 
Husker Du, Queen Shrike. None of them are in. So, so the dad would be a first in the Rock so and Roll Hall of Fame. So Molly Crew would be the first umlaut. Uh, and the, I, did, I didn't even see like a German producer or anything like that. That's so. hysterical. I still can't believe like Lemmy died, and I was like, oh, they're getting in. Dave Grohl's got this. Yeah, I, and they they're that's amazing. If anybody should be in Rock and Roll Fame next is Motorhead. Absolutely, I, Motorhead belongs in. I think Husker Du. I'm a huge Bob Mould fan, but I don't could, know. Too I don't much know about anything them. about them. They were. Um, yeah, we could have a whole other discussion yeah. about uh, Husker Du and Sugar and Bob Mould and his solo work. So cool. All right. So this was a pleasure. I right? really had fun. a good time doing this. Time flew. So I guess in wrapping up, we're going to ask people to um, follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Uh, leave us a review on iTunes. You can subscribe to us. You can engage with us on Facebook. We're going to be on there at the Prisoners of Rock and Roll. You're going to be able to visit our website at prisonersofrockandroll.com. And you can always give us some feedback at prisonersofrockandroll at gmail.com. And hopefully we'll be coming back in a couple of weeks with another episode. So we're going to take it from here.